So hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome all of you to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. Joining us today is a very special guest who is Owen Plowman. He's the Vice President of Business Development at Actinum Corporation. There, he blends his software technical skills with knowledge of the oil and gas industry to advance Actinum's product capabilities and address customer challenges effectively. Now, we will be getting Owen's thoughts on optimizing scheduling and oil gas operation, who should be involved in those processes, and new technologies that are available, as well as a whole bunch more. So with that, I don't want to waste any more time. I'd like to welcome Owen in. Owen, how are you doing today? I'm good, Lee. It's great to be here. Excellent. Now, of course, we really want to thank you for providing us a couple minutes of your time today. Um, now, before we get started, uh, can you just tell the listeners a little bit more about your company, Actinum, and just a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, Actinum was founded in 2003 and originally was set up to develop and market optimization technology. And I joined with our CEO, Paul Maurer, in 2004, 2005. And we said, hmm, optimization technology is a bit of a general area. So really what we should do is focus on something specific. And we chose to focus on the application of better scheduling to oil and gas and how you can optimize schedules. And if you fast forward from 2004, 2005 to today, we have um, most of the big oil companies that you could think of in North America, um, customers outside North America, national oil companies and so on. And um, they're all using our tools to do better scheduling. My personal journey um, is over 41 years in the in the um, uh, IT area. So I came out of university with a degree in computer science, and that's my background. And I worked for the first four or five years in the defense sector, and then I spent 14 years at Oracle Corporation in a variety of roles. And I left Oracle and I joined Actinum and I've been there since uh, full time since 2006. And so I've been um, very heavily involved in the oil and gas business. And besides thinking about products and projects and how um, as a supplier of software, we can make things better and generate revenue for the company. The things that I'm always interested in um, are around performance improvement and why initiatives succeed and why they fail. So that sort of shaped my perspective um, over the last 41 years. I've always been really keen on that because I've seen huge software implementation projects crash and burn. And I've always wondered why that is. And when you poke into things, there are some very common themes that come out of that. And I've seen that, um, you know, over 40 years now. Excellent. Well, I do want to jump into especially some of your, your company's technologies. So it, you are focused on advanced software for scheduling oil and gas operations. So I guess then the question is, is, you know, what's so special about scheduling and why is this an area that actually needs a lot more attention? Good question. Um, so scheduling has traditionally been seen i think as a way of just assigning resources to activities or tasks uh, by dates and so um, in the maintenance world what people are concerned is with um, assigning a crew with four or five people on it to do some sort of job and expecting that it will take them a couple of days or whatever um, it with our technology and the way that we think about scheduling uh, we're, we're trying to link the 
features and capabilities of the product and the benefits that you get out of it with what is going in on in the industry today, which is a drive towards greater efficiency and more effective use of um, your money. And that means more effective use of your resources. And so if you think of the schedule as a place to look at dates and uh, worry about when people will be finished a job, you're sort of doing part of the job you're not thinking about how effectively you can model your operations and look at things like costs and um, uh, production shutdowns or whatever, and what that does in terms of the efficiency and effectiveness of your company's operations. So what we have found is that by augmenting just the basic resource activity uh, assignment information with uh, more data about costs, about um, material requirements, about the constraints in the operations environment, whether those are safety constraints or physical constraints that a certain job can't be done because there's something else happening at the same time. Um, all those things uh, sort of come together. And um, if you put all that data into a schedule, you push yourself into a new world of thinking about how effective operations are. So that's why we're spending a lot of time on this, and that's what our customers are getting out of our products. Yeah, and I do want to ask about your customers because speaking with them over the you know last uh, couple of years or I guess de more than a decade uh, with the company, how are companies now managing their schedules these days? You know, for example, if they're doing uh, a refinery turnaround, so what are the kind of challenges they're experiencing, and and then what are the payoffs for improving their scheduling process? So. Turnarounds are a really thorny problem, although they are, they're in some sense, the people I talk to often address them in a sort of matter-of-fact way. Um, you, you can have a major turnaround which shuts your plant down for three or four weeks and has 30,000 activities in it, and you have to bring in four or 500 contractors. You have to manage everything to get the plant back online when you say it will, otherwise you start to really cost your company money. You have a lot of people coming in who don't really necessarily know the layout of the plant, so you have a safety issue. You want to make sure that everything is going to happen along the critical path so that um, activities are done when they're supposed to be. And e even though disruptions will happen, that you can still get things back on track and release the plant to production when it's supposed to. And by disruptions, I mean um, things ranging from injuries that occur, um, uh, things not arriving when they're supposed to. So, for example, in a refinery, you're expecting to replace catalyst in a particular component and the catalyst doesn't arrive or they deliver it to the wrong part of the plant and you're delayed starting your job. Um, other disruptions that occur, you're supposed to do maintenance on a set of pumps and you take the pumps apart and discover mm, it's not just going to be maintenance, we're going to have to replace something. So there are all sorts of disruptions and the, the issue is how do you get things back on track? and and keep managing everything at the same time all the people need to know what's going on so if they're being reassigned to jobs or things are going to be delayed they need to be able to catch up and and know where they're supposed to be at any given point and that can be quite a challenge the kinds of tools that people use range from very very simplistic things like microsoft excel which is you know it, it sounds really odd but there are people using that to schedule shutdowns to other tools which are a little bit more sophisticated but are really aimed at managing projects like Microsoft Project and Primavera P6. 
And those tools uh, do the job. I mean, we can't deny that people are doing refinery shutdowns and other big maintenance activities today, but they're not necessarily doing it as effectively as they could. And they're not really getting the information out of those tools that would really help them be more effective. Yeah, no, and that's actually a really good segue into my next question, because uh, with those challenges that you're speaking of, in your opinion, what should companies actually be doing to improve their scheduling? And, and of course, really importantly, is who should be involved within that process? Well, I think the, the, if I turn that question around a bit, um, the, the question of what what you should be doing. I think you have to look at what degrades the overall performance um, and what can have a negative impact on it. And there are two things that um, really stand out and, and they're based on what I've seen over the years in any sort of project. One is, if, one is the lack of effective leadership and the other one is lack of effective measurement. So what do I mean by those two things? I think leadership needs to be involved um, with any sort of um, improvement initiative, which means bringing in perhaps new software or changing the way that the existing process works. Leadership needs to involve in le leadership needs to be involved to say to everybody, okay, I need you to commit, or we need you to commit to a new way of thinking and a new way of working. And um, you know, I, I've heard this, I've heard this little analogy in the past. I, I can't remember who said it, but there was a big performance improvement initiative. And the CEO told all the employees, we're all gonna go on a journey and um, it's gonna be difficult and there'll be pitfalls and you know we, we'll all try to do it together. We'll carry the wounded, but we will shoot the stragglers. And that's a pretty dramatic way of emphasizing what yeah. really needs to be in place. Management needs to be committed and involved and make sure that everybody else on the team is, is interested in moving forward and going into a new world. The other thing, of course, is measurement. You know, what gets, what gets measured gets managed effectively. So if you uh, are scheduling and you don't have effective measurements or key performance indicators to understand how effectively the operations are working, and what you can do to um, improve your, your key performance indicators or KPIs, then you're missing out because, and, and what you see happening is that people will put a schedule together. It's a very complex schedule. They might spend several months doing it if they're having a, a sort of two or three week refinery shutdown. They'll spend time doing it. And the first time they get everything scheduled, they kind of go, okay, we're done. And that's not where you're done. One of the things that our software provides is an optimization engine. So to give you an example of what, what happened a couple of years ago, we were involved with a company that was doing a lot of shutdowns in the mining industry. Uh, we loaded a shutdown schedule. I think it was like a one or two week schedule with about 7,000 activities in it. And then they asked us to optimize it for non-productive time. So when we ran the optimizer, it took quite a while. It was several hours. And what we got out was 360 days of um, improvement in terms of reducing non-productive time, which wasn't a lot, right? It was like 3% of the total time. So when I, I played this back to them and I showed them, I said, look, it's not a huge improvement. It's only like 3%. And there was one gentleman who said, no, no, you're missing the point. That's nearly a year of time, 360 days with all our contractors. That's 360 days we don't have to pay for. Now, 
that's not that's one way to look at it. It certainly is the 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 you know the ideal state. Of course, you're trying to eliminate 360 days of time without really knowing the physical layout of the plant and what will happen in terms of disruption. So it's probably not going to be 360 days that you get rid of, but there's a significant savings to be had. And the other thing that you can think about is what else can be done in terms of building your schedule and then running some scenarios on it. What if I change the mix of resources? What if I added resources in this particular time period? Would that get things done faster or would everybody start to get in their way, each other's way? What if I reduced the resources and took a little bit longer, but my spend would be less? It depends what you've committed to production. But you need the sort of measurement um, um, aspect in place to really understand whether you're doing an effective, jo an effective job in scheduling. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that case study in particular because I'm kind of curious, is, is there a huge amount of effort that needs to be done with companies to have them schedule more effectively? And I just kind of as a follow-up, you know, does an organization have to change their entire approach uh, to managing the schedule and working with, say, you know, if they're doing a turnaround, like the turnaround team? No, you don't have to change the entire approach. I think you, what you want this this goes back to another one of the things I've observed. You want to make sure that the people involved in changing the approach are enthusiastic and committed. So we've we do a lot of meeting. We have a lot of meetings and we do a lot of demos. And you look around the table sometimes when we've been able to meet face to face. And there's a person who's sitting there with their arms folded and they're sort of leaning back and maybe they've crossed their legs as well. And, you know, my first reaction is eh, that's the primavera scheduler, right, who thinks you're trying to eliminate my job. My my tool works fine. Why do I have to learn something new? This is going to be a pain in the neck and a lot of extra effort. And I don't believe in the payoff and everything. You can't have people like that involved. You have to make sure this goes back to my comment about leadership um, being involved. You have to make sure that people are committed to change. So the ideal thing is find on your team one or two people who are really enthusiastic and, and want to do something better. And then you know, we have a very simple approach. We basically run a pilot where we take an existing schedule, we load it into our tool, and we work with the people so that they understand how the tool works and what the benefits are. And they actually start using it in production. And sometimes the pilot is supposed to last three months, but you find that after the end of the first two weeks, they, they won't give up the tool. They don't want to go back to the old way of doing things because they have all these additional capabilities um, in, in the tool that help them do their job mo more effectively. And um, so the ideal thing is to pick some sort of quick win area. So, you know, maybe don't go with your one month shutdown that is 30,000 activities and, and hundreds of extra contractors. Maybe pick a smaller area, maybe look at your regular maintenance activities maybe pick a, um, a two-day shutdown and see how the tool works in that kind of environment and just move ahead from there and expand outwards. But aim for quick wins because those are really important. They not only, they not only sort of cement the relationship between the users and the new way of doing things, but they also demonstrate that there's value in doing this for the organization. No, those are great points. Uh, I guess my next question then is, uh, from your experience, or do you notice any key, I guess, gotchas that can derail 
a scheduling improvement process? Well, the the biggest gotcha is not having the right people involved. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that that that's always a problem. Um, if you get past that, then the the thing that is, um, I, I guess the next priority is to make sure that the data is sane and feasible and um, that works properly uh, when you load it into a new tool. So um, data can be dirty in various ways. Uh, you you may not capture all aspects of what's going on in a turnaround or even in regular maintenance because some of that information is in a person's head. So for example, uh, there's a refinery here in Vancouver where I live and we visited with them and the guy uses Microsoft Project and he does a great job, but a lot of the information about what has to happen in a turnaround is in his head because the refinery is, is not massive he understands all the spatial constraints in the refinery so he knows if you bring a crane in to do a particular set of uh, a particular job particular set of activities you can't do anything underneath that crane at the same time and there's an exclusion radius well software doesn't know anything about that um the, it's it's in the person's head now then the question is well what happens when that person is sick or changes jobs or gets hit by a bus or something like that so <clears throat> excuse me so it's important to make sure that you capture as much information as you possibly can. And then the other thing is not to set unrealistic expectations about what the benefits will be. Um, we, we don't like to do what we call big bang implementations at, at Actinum. We, we tend to focus on incremental work. So it, as I said earlier, if you're aiming to try out the software, for example, you would start with a small project and then move to a larger one. You don't want to necessarily start with the biggest project you have to see what happens because it will just be extremely complicated, not only for us to load all the data and make sure that everything is in there, but also for the users to figure out what, you know, what's going on with this new tool and where is the thing that I always used to do in this tool? How do I, how do I accomplish some task that I do as a regular routine daily activity? How do I do that in this product? You know, we can overcome that, but it just makes the whole process a little more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I can understand that, especially with new new digital technologies. And that's kind of where I wanted to go with my last question is uh, I need you to look into your crystal ball because my last question yeah. is, so so where do you see scheduling going in the future? And, and what are the industry trends that you're seeing in managing, you know, aspects like maintenance or shutdowns? Well, uh, we're we're definitely seeing an increase in interest in improving efficiency. Um, I I talked to somebody last week who is part of a network of forty different plants, not, completely outside the oil and gas business, and he uses Microsoft Project to schedule these two week shutdowns that occur every spring, and that same kind of thing happens right across the organization, and um, it, it's. You know, he he sort of does the work to organize the turnaround off the side of his desk. It, I mean, you would think he's in charge of this and it's one of the main things that happens and getting the plant back on their target day is critical to the success of the organization. And yet he's not really given a set of tools and um, a robust process for working with. So, you know, he's interested in ways he can improve efficiency. And when I started talking about the fact that you can 
use the tool as an operations model. He was like, but that's exactly what I want to do, right? I want to know, I want to not only be able to look at what my resources are doing, I want to look at the different parts of the plan and say, what are all the activities happening this week in, in this particular area of the plan? And what are the pieces of equipment that are involved? And that's not something that's easy to do with traditional tools, but we have this thing called 360 degree visibility as a set of capabilities in our tool. So you can examine your schedule from multiple perspectives. So that's one thing I think, you know, there's an increase in thinking about improvement in efficiency because everybody's having to do more with less. From a technology perspective, people are starting to think about cloud deployment and cloud-based software, and um, that's great. You know, five years ago, I went to all our customers in Houston and started talking about the cloud, and they all kind of wanted to throw me out of the room. Right? They said, <laughs> "You know, we're not putting our data in the cloud. We're not. You know, we have no interest in doing that." You know, so two years ago, I talked to them all again, and they all went, "Oh yeah, cloud is definitely part of our strategy, and we've had a cloud." <laughs> We've had a cloud capability now for about four years. I think the other thing is, the other trend I see is additional data being incorporated into the schedule. So I was talking about costs earlier on. I think the other area which is quite important in maintenance and turnarounds is um, bringing material information in. So you're going to do something, I mentioned earlier, replace catalyst. And so understanding where that is and how that uh, how that relates, particularly if you're in a large refinery and you're doing a whole bunch of, of different catalyst replacement activities across the refinery, um, you can incorporate data about that particular set of materials or any other set of materials that you need so that you know that I, I have to have all these materials lined up and ready to go before I can start this particular activity in the in the turnaround. And I think the um, the other thing that is important is that certainly with our technology and and I know what people are looking for is a sort of more universal tool so that you can use the same technology for regular maintenance scheduling and planning as you can for turnaround activities uh, for for more extensive very intensive turnarounds with lots of activities and lots of resources and the tool won't fall over the one I mentioned earlier, the mining company where we were um, we were optimizing and we got non-productive timeout about 360 days. There, even their two-week shutdown was so complicated that they split their Microsoft project schedule into three because project couldn't handle everything in one schedule. It just was very slow and sometimes it would crash, and that's absolutely no good. So you you want to have one technology that will handle the routine stuff that happens every day and the more complex and and more sophisticated turnarounds no absolutely yeah i guess sometimes those maintenance turnaround jobs can be absolutely enormous yeah like you just mentioned well this has actually been very good stuff i i guess for the for the listeners now if they want to find out more information about what actinum does some of the technologies that you are that you have been talking about during this podcast where's the best place for them to go the, the best place is to just visit our website, um, actinum.com, A-C-T-E-N-U-M.com. And um, there's a wealth of material there. There are videos people can see on YouTube. Um, and also on every single page at the top right, there's a little button mark, schedule a demo, and people can fill out that. When you click on that, you get a little form. You can fill it out, give us your name and email address, and we'll get back to you. And we're not going to be high pressure. Um, we're interested in um, 
you know, what the challenges are you're facing and how we might be able to address them. And um, we can have a conversation. Excellent. Well, listen, Owen, can't really we can't thank you enough for giving us a couple minutes of your time today, especially to speak about this this crucial topic that's going on within our industry. Uh, and and again, of course, we want to thank all of you for listening to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column.